something that's so lovely, that's so powerful, that's so wonderful, it's so strong, it's so life-changing. We're going to look at grace, at God's grace. I wonder as we begin, just as we start thinking about grace, I wonder if you've seen uh, the the musical or or read the book that it was based on, Le Miserable. Just just humor me, uh, roughly how many people have have seen it? Um, Good. Uh, that that that's good. There's a there's always a problem here when when using something like this as an illustration because um, for a moment or two I'm going to have to try and speak in a slightly French accent. <laughs> and as somebody who struggles to speak in an English accent, that's that's going to be going to be a challenge. But just in, just in case you haven't seen, let me just t- talk about the the beginning or, or the start of that. I'll not give too much away of the storyline. But it's based on the, on the novel by Victor Hugo, and it's set in 19th century France. And it's based on the central character, Jean Valjean. And he is, uh, he's been in prison. He's been in prison for, for a long time. Uh, I think he stole a loaf of bread or something like that. And, and he's become known as Prisoner 24601. Uh, and he's eventually released. Uh, and the big question for him as he's released after being in prison for such a long time is what is life going to look like for him now? How is he going to choose to live now that he's free? And, uh, and, and con- condensing the story a lot, he has a, a life-changing encounter, a life-changing moment as he's taken in by, by a bishop, and, uh, and he offers him um, lodging, he offers him food, offers him shelter. But in the night, he steals the silverware from the church. Uh, and, and he's caught with this silverware from the church. He's on the run and he's brought back in to face the, the bishop who had offered him this kindness. And, uh, and the bishop says, no, he didn't steal this. I've given it to him. Uh, and, and, and this uh, changes his life. It stops him from going back into prison for, for however long. It's a real life-altering moment. And I'm not sure whether the authorities totally buy it, but, but they, they release him. And from that moment on, he decides that he's going to live differently. That he's going to, that's going to affect how he lives and how he treats people and what the rest of his life is going to look like. Because he deserved to go back to prison, but he's given a second chance. Well, what we're going to look at in Peter's life is, is perhaps even more remarkable than that. We're going to look at two elements of Peter's story uh, in this kind of segment of his life. We're going to look at the pain of getting it wrong and the power of grace. Pain of getting it wrong and the power of grace. So we're going to start with the pain of getting it wrong. And we're just going to look at what, what, how it all sort of falls apart for Peter in that last week, in the last days uh, before Jesus is crucified. And we're doing this not just to kind of rake up mistakes that were made 2,000 years ago. That's not what we're doing it for. We're doing it because, because we are Peter. We, we make mistakes. It, we're not criticizing uh, somebody in the past. We're saying this is, this is the human heart. This is what life looks like. This is how it can feel. And we're doing this not just to see the mistakes we make, but to see uh, in clearer focus, hopefully, the grace and power of the Lord Jesus. The account of Peter denying Jesus is found in all four Gospels. 
That, that's significant. That, that's, that means something. All four gospel writers felt it important to add this in to their account. And remember who, who Peter will become. He'll become a really significant figure in the early church. Jesus says, this is the rock on whom I'll build the church. And as we've been journeying through Acts, we've seen Peter powerfully used by God in incredible ways. In, in Acts chapter 1, it's Peter who stands up and organises everybody. I think he doesn't mind doing that. He stands up, the Lord Jesus has ascended into heaven. It's Peter who says, Judas has gone, we need to, someone to replace him as part of the twelve. He's a, he's a key figure right from the get-go. It's Peter who stands up on the day of Pentecost and filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches to crowds of thousands and and 3,000 are added to the church that day. It's Peter and John in Acts 3 who are on their way to pray and meet a lame man on the way. It's Peter and John who filled with the Spirit. God does something miraculous, wonderful through him as this man is healed. And then it's Peter who, as the crowds flock to see what's happening, it's Peter who stands up and preaches. And and more people come to faith. It's Peter and John who are dragged off and spend a night in prison. It's Peter who stands before the Sanhedrin, the the highest court of, of the Jewish people at the time, and explains the gospel to those who crucified Jesus. It's Peter. He's such uh, God uses him so powerfully in the early chapters of Acts. It's Peter who deals with Ananias and Sapphira. It's Peter who, in Acts five, we read this. This just indicates the how how he's regarded in Jerusalem at this time. Acts chapter five, verse fourteen. Um, just diving in. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. I mean, that, that's pretty remarkable, isn't it? Imagine that, that, that he's held in such high esteem that people just hope that his shadow will, will be cast on them as he passed by. But the Bible doesn't uh, pretend that Peter is, uh, is superhuman. He's, he's, he's a man. He has qualities. He has gifts. And, and he makes himself available to God and filled with the Spirit of God. God does remarkable things through him. But he makes mistakes. Peter ultimately is known as a man with a great saviour. And, and, and there are times where he, he gets it wrong. And we're just going to notice, really simply, a couple of those times. We'll start in the upper room. The very setting for what we've, we've remembered as we've shared communion together this morning. Luke 22 tells us about the events of the Last Supper. And Luke tells us how Jesus explains as he takes the bread and he breaks it. He says, this is a symbol. It's, this is what, what's going to happen to me. My body is going to be broken for you. I'm going to die for you. This uh, wine is, is a symbol of my blood, which will be shed for you. I'm giving my life that you can go free. I'm going to die that you can be forgiven. It's the greatest act of sacrificial love in all history. And what happens directly after Jesus has explained that? Verse 24, a dispute arose among them, that's the disciples, as to which of them was considered the greatest. I mean, the contrast is so stark. 
Jesus, the Son of God, has stepped into the world to save us by giving his life for us, who, who, who kneels down and washes his disciples' feet, who's going to give his body, shed his blood. Meanwhile, the disciples are trying to work out which of us is the best. Which, which of us is probably the greatest? I mean, it's, it's so stark. Luke goes on to explain. And he says, Peter, Simon, he calls him Simon. And he says, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. The adversary, the one who, 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 who right at the beginning caused this whole problem is asked to shake you, to sift you like wheat, to, 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 to get hold of you and shake you. And Jesus says he's prayed for him. And, and Peter says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And I'm sure he means it, but he's about to be proved wrong. In the upper room, Peter is overconfident and underinformed. And that's been gentle. There's mistakes in the upper room. We follow Jesus and the disciples as they make their way to the garden. And there's mistakes in the garden. Jesus, and now in the garden, knows that Judas and the, the soldiers are making their way towards him. This is the time. And he encourages him, his uh, disciples to pray. He play, prays and, and in such, such anguish that he's sweating drops of blood. Luke twenty two forty five. When he arose from prayer, he went back to his disciples and he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Peter, at this most crucial moment in, in his whole life, in all history, this crucial moment, Peter's asleep. He missed it. He's exhausted from sorrow. Then Judas and the soldiers arrive. In a, in, a, in a sleepy, instinctive, um, slightly violent reaction, Peter jumps into action. John tells us what happens. John eighteen ten. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus rebukes him, saying, put away your sword. He's been overconfident. He's been underinformed. He's been asleep. And now there's, there's been this, this kind of violence in his response. I'm sure it comes out of being scared or, or, or just ha- that response in the moment. You know, sometimes, um, occasionally I'll, I'll kind of wrestle with the children. Play, play wrestling, you understand, not real wrestling. And, uh, and maybe just accidentally, somebody just catches you on the nose. And I wonder if you had that feeling, just a total accident, somebody catches you on your nose. And if you get hit in the nose, there's just this response that, that comes up. You're looking at me blankly, which makes me wonder <laughs> if this is just me. But there's just this response that comes up from Peter. Whoosh! Here we go. And, and, and the sword comes out. And Jesus said, put, it, put the sword away. And then we make, we follow Jesus, the Son of God. The one who put the stars in the sky. And he's willingly let, allowed himself to be bound and follow the soldiers. In, we follow him into the courtyard. And, and Peter, to his immense credit, follows. And that is to his credit. All the disciples are who knows where. But he follows. And as, as the questioning is going on for Jesus, uh, Peter's in the courtyard and a servant girl asks him, you're not one of his disciples, are you? 
It's an interesting question, isn't it? The question is almost formed in a way such as it, it's expecting a negative response. No, no, of course not. He goes in and, and, and warms himself by the fire. And although he's surrounded by people, he's alone. I think that's important. The other disciples are not there. His brothers are not there. He's with people, but he's on his own. And he's asked again, do you know, and he denies it. And then John tells us this little detail in verse 26, chapter 18. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the rooster began to crow. He denies Jesus three times. And what strikes me is as we kind of go through the, the passages is that, that the Bible doesn't make any excuses for Peter or doesn't seek to protect his reputation at all. It just, it just as allows us to read what happened. That, that is quite something. Peter was, would be one of the main sources as the Gospels have been written, certainly for Mark's Gospel. And, and there's no hint of him, of him trying to protect him, his own reputation, or, or put in little things out. You know, you don't realize how tired I was or how much pressure we were under. We don't read that. We just read what happens as Peter denies Jesus. He makes more mistakes. And we know what Peter feels like here, don't we? We've been there. Somebody asks, what did you do on Sunday? And you rush to tell them all about what we did on Sunday afternoon. Let's, let's see what we did on Sunday afternoon. Be careful about what we see on Sunday morning. We, we, people are joking around and we join in the, the, the stuff and we start saying things. We don't even really believe it. We don't even really think it, but we just want to be a part of it. And, and, we, and we betray our Lord. It happens simply, it happens easily, it can happen often. We know what this is like. And while the Bible doesn't say excuse it or, or, or guard against it, what the Bible does say is that it hurts. Peter went out and wept bitterly. It hurt. If that's, if that's the pain of getting it wrong, what about the power of grace? Because Peter's story wonderfully doesn't finish there. I want us to notice that as, as Jesus, the risen Jesus, the one who, after rising from the dead in such an incredible way, he's going to show that in the kingdom of God, failure is not fatal. And neither is it final. Failure doesn't have to be fatal. It doesn't have to be final. And what strikes me is this, that while Peter was failing, Jesus was succeeding. While Jesus was failing, sorry, while Peter was failing, Jesus was succeeding. Just, just let's track it back through. While Peter was overconfident, Jesus was entirely realistic. Peter didn't know what was going to happen, but thought he did. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. While Peter was sleeping, Jesus was praying and, and enjoying that intimacy with his father as they were about to pull the trigger on this great re rescue plan. While Peter is swinging the sword, Jesus is the ultimate expression of self-control. 
as, as the king of the universe allows himself to be arrested. As Peter's been questioned by a servant girl who has no influence in that society, Peter is before the most, uh, Jesus is before the most powerful court in the land. While Peter is denying that he knew Jesus to the servant girl, Jesus is speaking truth in a corrupt courtroom. While Peter was weeping bitterly in defeat, Jesus was achieving the greatest victory in all of eternity as he died that we might be forgiven. That, that, that while Peter was lost in defeat, Jesus was, was winning. He was winning. He was saving Peter as he wept bitterly outside. While Peter was failing, Jesus was dying for him. And it was an incredible victory. Just like Peter had failed in lots of ways and And yet Jesus, though perfect, has given his life for us. And he didn't stay dead, of course, but has risen again. I wonder wonder if for a moment you could could use your imagination with me. (laughs) Some of you are thinking, I've been off using my imagination for a few minutes now, Ian. Um, Well, let's, let's think about this particularly. Imagine you'd never heard this story before. You'd never read this before. But you're reading the Bible, having no background, and you read about the Lord Jesus. You read about his life. You read about his trial, the mockery, the deceit, the betrayal, his death. And then you read about the resurrection, that Jesus has conquered death, that he's risen from the grave. And at that moment, a friend comes round and, and says, uh, oh, you're just about to reach a good bit. Jesus is going to meet with Peter. I wonder what you would expect that meeting to be like. Uh, we've heard it so often that we, we perhaps miss the, the, the power in what, in what happens. What is the risen Jesus going to say to Peter? Well, well, well the risen Jesus is intentionally going to go and, and find him. He's going to seek him out. In a moment or two, we're going to watch a short video. But just before we do, let me read what Mark says about uh, what happens on Easter Sunday. Remember that, that, that Peter's probably a major uh, source for Mark as he writes. Mark writes this, Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene. He was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Did you catch it? Did you catch what he said? The angel says to him, but go and tell the disciples and Peter. That's remarkable. I wonder if the, uh, if the video is good to go. It's, it's, the video is by, by two guys called the, the Skit Guys. They, they put little dramas together. Sometimes it's nice to see things, um, familiar things in a fresh way. <laughs> 
I love that line, it's not about you, it's always about me. It's powerful, isn't it? The grace of the Lord Jesus as he, uh, as he, as he seeks out Peter. I just want to read some verses from, from John chapter 21 and, and we'll, we'll, we'll close very soon. It's referencing what they were, they were talking about there, the scene that's been set as, uh, as G, uh, Peter and the disciples have gone fishing and they've caught nothing. And early in the morning, uh, Jesus, the risen Jesus, is walking on the beach and he calls out to them. And uh, and he asked them to put the, the nets on the other side, just as he did as when Peter was commissioned in Luke chapter five, and they recognise it's it's Jesus. Then Peter, uh, you know, makes a beeline for for him on the beach. Uh, and I, and I love how Jesus treats Peter here. It it's really significant. I think Peter's been up all night fishing. He's tired. He's been tired before and slept. But, Pete, uh, but Jesus meets him. Uh, and, and there's breakfast cooking. It, it, it's, it, there's breakfast cooking. He feeds him after being up all night. There's a fire going so he can get warm from kind of jumping out of the boat and all that. Um, the last time he was around a fire, he was denying Jesus. And here he is with the risen Jesus, with his, uh, with his friends as well, with his disciples, not on his own. And they, uh, and, they, and they eat together and they share fellowship together. And as Peter is warm and full and in fellowship, Jesus addresses the elephant in the room. Verse 15 of John chapter 21. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. There's probably much that could be said about that, but just one thing for this morning. Peter was a leader. Peter, that's how God had made him. He was, he was decisive. He, he, when he went, people followed. He was, he was a leader. But now that he has encountered the risen Jesus, now that he has understood grace. Now he's ready to lead God's people. He is a leader, but now that that gift gets gets wrapped up in grace, now things are ready to start happening. It, it, he's, of course, it's going to be God working through him by his spirit, but there's something about understanding our need for grace and receiving it which gets us in a place where God can start doing something really significant. So what about us this morning? What about us? We, uh, we've, all made, we've all made mistakes. We've, we've, we've all fallen short. We've all seen. We're not typically good people who make some mistakes. We're typically 
people who sin who occasionally get something right. But we find forgiveness in Jesus. Jesus died that we might live. We find freedom in him and we find grace. He seeks us out to restore, to restore. Please don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that our sin doesn't have consequences. It's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying grace is truly, truly beautiful and truly life-changing when we recognize it, our need for it, and receive it. And as a community of God's people, we've got to recognize that we're all going to be getting stuff wrong. And we need to, to, to allow the grace we've received from Jesus to overflow into how we treat one another. We have to. We have to. We have to. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for the forgiveness and grace we find in in you, in Jesus. Lord, I pray a simple prayer this morning, that we would recognize and receive your grace and forgiveness and live in the wonderful freedom that follows. In Jesus' name, amen.